Well, brothers and sisters, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We'll be focusing on verses 5 through 11 of Acts chapter 12. I'll be reading from verse 1 through to verse 19 of Acts chapter 12. Please listen very closely because this is God's holy and infallible Word. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So, when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So our, our God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has sent forth Jesus Christ to die for the sins of His people. The Messiah has come, He has died, He has accomplished God's will upon the cross, wiping out all the sins of His people. He's come back from the dead, you know this is the Lord's day. This is the Lord's Day because it's the day He came back from the dead. Every Lord's Day when we come together, it is Resurrection Day. So we're celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, His sure victory over sin, death, hell, misery. He's brought us back into favor and peace and joy with God. And He's commanded after His resurrection, before His ascension... During that 40 days, he's commanded his disciples to go and preach the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world, which includes remission of sins, pointing to his cross, which includes repentance, repentance of our sins, pointing to his crown. Jesus Christ is our Savior, he's our King. They know this. They're going out and telling the whole world. That's what they're doing. 
So the whole book of Acts, as we've said before, some call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it's better stated as the, really the continuing acts of Jesus Christ himself. Everything that he did in his earthly ministry, he's continuing to do now through his church. That's you and me. If you look around, we're tied into this great epic plan that God has for redeeming this world and taking the gospel, which is the power of God throughout the whole world. And you are the blessed, we are the blessed beneficiaries to have heard this message that Jesus Christ has come and He has died and all who trust in Him shall be saved. So what's happening here is what we see around us today as well. If you're not in Christ, you will hate Christ. And you will be drawn into hatred for His people and there will be persecution of the people of God. And that's what's going on in today's text. And we also see God's angels, which is wonderful to consider. You know, if we had eyes to see angels, we'd probably all kind of fall down right now because they're here with us almost for sure. They're in our midst all the time. The author of Hebrews wrote about angels saying, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? This is meant for our encouragement. These mighty beings who perfectly do God's will, they are our servants. Those who are to inherit salvation, they're sent to help us. And in today's text, we observe a most striking example of one of these ministering spirits. This particular angel was sent by God to help Peter. Can't we say Peter is one who will inherit salvation? <clears throat> are you one who will inherit salvation? If so, do you believe the word of God about these ministering spirits sent forth from God to help you? Or perhaps when you pray for someone else that the Lord may answer your prayer by sending an angel to help them? Also, toward the end of his first epistle to the Thessalonians, related to today's text, Paul wrote, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And also recall the disciples, including Peter, who could not stay awake to pray with Jesus the night before he was crucified there in that dark time before the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was, Jesus, suffering so much that he sweat drops of blood as he was considering what he would endure. So how often do you sleep through your time of prayers? How often do you sleep through prayers even here during corporate worship? Conversely, do you pray for those whose weakness and exhaustion will have them sleeping during times of grave threats? Going on now, looking unto God's great sovereignty, His great purpose in our lives, related to today's text, about midway through his epistle to the church at Rome, Paul wrote these words, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. So do you love God? These are questions to ponder as we're going through today's text. Have you been called into new life by His Holy Spirit according to His purpose for His people to be conformed to the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ? Do you believe that the God whom we serve is able to deliver us from any and all threats no matter how immense? no matter how strong, no matter how severe? Do you rest in His great love and wisdom toward you, knowing that He alone knows best how to bless you in your path of becoming like Jesus Christ? He sees you, and He alone knows the best path for you. Really, it's can be another way to, looking, to look at this is, are you content to go the way of James, the brother of John? Can you rest in the path of imprisoned Peter if God brings that to you? 
knowing that each path has been shaped and designed by God for you, for your good. So, today we're going to go through this text. First, we're going to look at the setting, what has been happening. We're going to look at the moment the angel arrived, what was going on there in the prison, what happened at the angel's arrival. We're going to see how the angel prepares Peter to depart. Peter follows. He's not really sure what's going on. And then he's freed. The angel departs. And then he comes to his senses and understands what God has done for him. And then, of course, some questions, some more questions to consider how we may live these principles in our lives today. So verses 1 through 6a are the setting for today's, today's events. So I'm going to go back a little bit and reread verses 1 through 5, but also the first part of verse 6. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out. <clears throat> That's the setting. So let's remember, what does this phrase mean now about that time? Well, if you go back to chapter 11, it's during the year that Saul and Barnabas had discipled many people, taught a great number of people at the church at Antioch. And also, Agabus had come to Antioch and had prophesied by the Spirit that a great famine would come during the reign of Claudius. And when the church at Antioch heard this, they made a decision that they would send relief to Judea, to the churches, the elders, at Judea and Jerusalem through the hand of Saul and Barnabas. So this is what's going on at that time. And this is around the year 45 AD is when this is happening. Now, Herod the king is persecuting God's church and is spurred on by the evil hearts and the words of the Jews. That's what's happening right now. Now, this is Herod Agrippa I. Remember we talked about this? He is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great has to do with the events surrounding the birth of Christ. This particular Herod in today's text is also the nephew of Herod Antipas. That's the Herod surrounding the events of John the Baptist's beheading and the events of Christ's crucifixion. So remember, there's four different Herods we need to keep straight. And this, today's Herod, is uh, Herod Agrippa I. And he's also the father of King Agrippa that we see in, later in Acts, who's Herod Agrippa II. Okay? So this is another example of Luke as a preeminent historian. Don't forget, the best place to start your study of history is in the Bible. Okay? It's not metaphor. It's not made up. It is accurate history that we look to. And it's God's inspired word. Next, we see Peter's imprisonment is occurring during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Herod is holding him in prison during this time. And he decides to delay his public trial because of this feast, planning to wait until after Passover. And likely, given how happy he had made the Jews when he killed James with the sword, it looks like the momentum here was to do it in public to Peter, to kill Peter in public. And Peter likely knew this, and he's there in prison, and he's waiting for the Lord's will to be revealed to him. And it's worth noting that this Passover is approximately 12 years after Jesus was crucified at the Passover that I believe was in AD 30. We look at all the details so about 12 years since the beginning of the book of Acts. There's a little bit of uncertainty exactly when this is because there were a number, there was more than one famine during a few, few years here in the time of Claudius. But most likely around A.D. 45. What else do we see? Peter is fully secured by human powers. Okay? There is no hope of some like mission impossible escape happening here. There are four squads of soldiers, that's 16 armed 
trained soldiers who know that if they fail, what's going to happen to them? Exactly what did happen to them. So they are vigilant. They are on guard. They are ready. They can call out for more soldiers in a moment. They're watching all the doors. They're sitting, two of them, right there next to him. And where is he? Well, he's not in a park. He's in a prison. And there are bars. And he's been chained. So there's multiple layers. Peter, by the arm of human flesh, is stuck. And you kind of know from Scripture, if, when you've read Scripture enough, you realize this is exactly where God likes to put his people, right? Because he's the God of the impossible. You know, just when you're dead, he raises you from the dead. Lazarus, we saw that today, right? There is never a hopeless situation with God. What else is happening? Well, there's constant prayers for Peter. This is really, obviously, really worth us noting and taking to heart. It says constant prayer. Was, there's a couple of ways this prayer is described. Constant. And it was offered to God. And it was for Peter. And it was by the church. It doesn't say by an individual. It says by the church. So what is this word constant? It means without, cease, without ceasing. It can mean fervent. And it's actually related to this idea of stretching out the hand which is what we saw Herod do. And this fervency that the church has is pointed towards God. They are pointing their fervency and it's ceaseless in some regard. 1 Peter 4 verse 8, this word fervent is used here. And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. It helps us understand that the fervency in prayer should be matched by fervency of love for one another and vice versa. Now, I want us to note and really think about this, the centrality of prayers being offered to God by His people during times of persecution. You who have worshipped here with us up to this point today have already seen an example of this in our worship. We have had that prayer confessing the sin of our nation to God for who knows how many years now. Praying and crying out to God during this time of rebellion against Him with attendant, growing persecution of people who belong to Him. This is not, if we look back at what's going on in the church at that time, I want you to note a few things. It's not isolated pockets of prayer. It says it's the church praying on their own, in their families, gathered together. Where Peter arrives, they were gathered together. It appears as this was a corporate gathering of the church praying for him. And note, this is not ho-hum prayers from sleepy hearts. Thank you, Lord. This is prayer from hearts on fire. Hearts aware that Jesus is listening and that they're aware that His gospel message, the command that He gave to them, is being threatened by this, these evil forces. So these are, these are fiery, fervent prayers to Christ. It's not prayer directed to saints or angels, but rather this is offered to God Himself. That is what is true about all Christian prayer. It is offered to God Himself, directly to Him via Christ, who is God. Anything else is not Christian prayer. We don't pray to angels. We may expect to see God use angels to answer our prayers. We do not pray to saints. We pray to God. This is what they did. Also, Notice that this is not prayer hopping from topic to topic or person to person. Something has happened. But it's very serious. It threatens their gospel mission. And so they focus all of their efforts on that one spot for this moment. So this is church-wide, fiery prayer, crying out to God for Peter. 
Commentary says, note this, times of public distress and danger should be praying times with the church. We must pray always, but then especially, I hope you will remember this next Sunday when we're here and we go through our prayer again of national confession and that you will join in with this kind of fervency and that you will be praying this way at home and with your family as well. Now, I want to go back and we're going to be doing this probably from time to time through the book of Acts because it really does set a grid for our understanding of what's happening in the book of Acts. I want to go back to chapter 4 where we learn how God's church thinks about prayer during times of persecution. It's the Psalm 2 grid. It's interpreting your current reality through the enduring reality of Psalm 2. So, let's go back. Persecution has occurred. Peter and John. And the church hears about it. And here's what happens. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of Your servant David have said. So, they look to God as Creator. They are resting in His power. They have no doubt in His ability. Now they move ahead. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. So God gave this prophecy to David hundreds of years before and it's being fulfilled. And they tell us, For truly against Your holy servant Jesus as they're praying whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. You see the same combo of tyrannical civil governance and apostate church leadership. Herod, Pilate. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So they understand the time they're living in. And they cry out to God to intervene. And their main concern is that they're going to be too scared to continue the gospel. And they ask for the Lord to give them boldness to continue no matter what. Because don't, don't forget, this is the same crowd that had just killed Jesus. And they had thrown him in prison. And so they, they knew that these people were willing to use their power, to abuse their power, to kill people if they couldn't silence them in other ways. So this is the setting. The church is praying. Peter's in prison. He's sleeping. He's fully secured there. It's during the Passover feast time frame, the unleavened bread. And he has got to have a sense that, well, <clears throat> I'm probably going to look what they did to James, look what they did to Jesus. Who knows? So what's going on? Let's look at the moment the angel arrives. That night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So we've already talked about how secure he is, but I want to take a moment for us to see that Peter is sleeping. So you might think, well, he should have been praying too. Maybe, maybe. But on the other hand, this is really beautiful. Because he knows that maybe this is his last night on earth. What is he doing? He's sleeping. So locked tight within that prison, bound up with two chains, surrounded by 16 armed and trained soldiers guarding him, and the prison doors closed tight, and the knowledge that Herod is a killer and has him in his grips, what does he do? He panics. No. He lays there all night, ruminating on his thoughts. No. He goes to sleep, brothers and sisters. He goes to sleep. I hope that will encourage you. Commentary says Peter was kept in prison with a great deal of care so that it was altogether impossible either by force or by stealth to get him out. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. 
for prayers and tears are the church's arms. Therewith she fights, not only against her enemies, but for her friends. And to these means they have recourse. And so imagine the answered prayer of Peter being able to sleep in the midst of that time of terror in his life. Because we know from Psalm 127, verse 2, don't we, that the Lord gives his loved ones sleep. So I hope that will encourage any of you here who have trouble sleeping. Uh, And we will continue to pray for one another in that regard. So the angel arrives. We'll look at that next. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. So the people of God have been fervently crying out to God. And here the Lord answers their prayers by sending an angel to rescue Peter from prison. We see this same course of heavenly events in the past. So this is not an uncommon course of events. It happened in Daniel 10. So an angel is talking to Daniel. He says, Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. And the angel that comes to help will be as strong as needed. Do you expect the Lord will sometimes send his angels to help those for whom you pray? Do you expect that? Or send his angels to help you sometimes when you ask God for help? We should expect this. Our doctrine of understanding angels should be a part of our minds when we're praying. It is a very encouraging truth. So what happens is the angel arrives in light and stands before sleeping Peter. The Lord doesn't give uh, Peter shallow sleep. Peter is down in deep sleep, y'all. He is in that maybe that almost that near-death sleep that, that Adam received in the garden. Peter is asleep. So the angel comes, the light comes on inside there, he's still sleeping. So it looks like he was in that deep sleep, even in the midst of this severe trial. The light doesn't wake him up. Now, some of you wives are going to kind of probably laugh at this. The angel had to strike Peter on his side to to get him to to wake up. And, And so finally gets him up, he grabs him and he raises him up and he gets him awake. So sometimes the prayers of others for us can help us to rest and to sleep, and we can lean on their prayers. So that's really, it should be really comforting for us to know that when we're too weak to pray, others' prayers help us. Sleep can come to us even in the worst of situations, and as we've said, He gives His beloved sleep. Now, He gets instructions. The, there's a time frame involved here. He says, arise quickly. When the Lord rescues His people, sometimes the rescue plan has a particular timing associated with it. In this case, it does. What happens? Chains fell off his hands. There's no mention of keys or locks being undone. The chains just fall off miraculously. We need to see here, brothers and sisters, and bring it home into your own minds. No power of man can restrain or kill God's people apart from God allowing this for their good and for His glory. And this faith, when it grips our souls, can make us these kinds of bold people that we can live for Christ, can live for the Lord, and our goal can be to please Him. And the mockings, the threats against our livelihood, against our friends, against our family, against our reputation, against our lives, can be set aside by His grace. We learn that lesson here. When God delivers, no human or demonic power can stop him. Commentary says it seems they had handcuffed him to make him sure, but God loosed his bonds. And if they fall off from his hands, it is as well as if he had the strength of Samson to break them. I enjoy Matthew Henry. (laughs) So the angel prepares him to depart now in verse 80. He says, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garments and follow me. Now, this, is, this seems odd to me. Awakened Peter gets further instructions from the angel. It's time to leave. Like, Peter doesn't know. 
<laughs> so the angel tells Peter to gird himself and put on his sandals and his garment and follow. It's as if a slumbering, freshly awakened Peter is like our toddlers in the morning. You've seen them wandering aimlessly without specific instructions. You know, please get your shoes and they're drawing on the wall, right, <laughs> instead. When you grab your socks, please, and, you know, they're, they're, they've got something up their nose. So Peter's weakness here highlights God's strength. <coughs> he really is like a little child. And we should rejoice in our weaknesses knowing our deliverance does not rest in us, but in God. We need to really be humbled by this and see that we need to be like little children. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Jesus said to me, this is Paul speaking of the the beauty of weakness, the glory of weakness. Paul says, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm sure I've read this scripture to us so many times. May God humble us. Paul goes on, Therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the humbling that God takes us through. Blessed are the poor in spirit, we are told. I also want us to note the simplicity of God's rescue plan. Sometimes we'll be shocked by the obvious instructions that God gives to us as we follow Him. We might expect some complicated labyrinthine solution. And He takes us on a very straight and obvious path. Commentary says, those who are delivered out of a spiritual imprisonment must follow their deliverer as Israel when they went out of the house of bondage. They didn't know where they were going, but whom they followed. And it needs to be true for us as well. We may not know exactly where the Lord's taking us sometimes, but we follow him. So Peter goes with the angel, but he doesn't even know what reality is. (laughs) He's very confused. He went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So here, even in the midst of his total mental stupor, Peter does go ahead and follow the angel, again, like a little toddler just trusting mommy or daddy. This is how we need to be before God. Our Father in heaven loves us, he cares for us, and and it's a sign of this kind of faith when we follow him and we don't understand we're confused but he takes us by the hand and he says you know put your clothes on get some shoes on you're going to go this way and we go okay even though we don't know why or what god is doing because we trust him he's our father he sent his son to die for us are we like this before god listen to what jesus said at that time the disciples came to jesus saying who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven who's greatest In the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus called a little child to him. Set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest kingdom of heaven. I was thinking about the scriptures the other day. And remembering the process the Lord took me through where he showed me that I was acting as a judge of God's word. And he taught me through that that if I'm in the scriptures and I read something that I don't like, something I don't agree with, then one of two things is happening. Either either I'm misunderstanding or I'm in rebellion. And I'm refusing to submit myself to what God has said in his word. And I think this is a part of what it means to be like a little child. Is to come to God's word, the scriptures, believing and submitting ourselves to what he says. It's not very popular in today's woke world. I guarantee you, you can make some enemies pretty quickly just by reading aloud in public. Some of the things that are written in God's word. Do you believe these things? 
Do you glory in God's word? Or do you judge it? Looking for some way to escape? Or do you feel like you need to apologize for God's word? Next, Peter does not know whether this deliverance is real or just a vision, but he still follows along. Please see, brothers and sisters, that our obedience to God's shepherding does not require our understanding of what is happening around us. Peter shows us here how to trust God without asking a lot of questions. It's almost as if God spared Peter from himself by putting him into this mental stupor of confusion. Because where are we going? Why are the chains? How did this happen? What about the shoes? Why my shoes? Why the gird up? Why do we have to be in a hurry? Can you just, like, you know, our kids do sometimes, right? Uh, or like we do before God sometimes. Um, but Peter just goes. And so that, that should be our attitude is an unquestioning gladness to hold God's hand as he leads us. Commentary says, Now it is said when Peter went out after the angel, he knew not that it was true which was done by the angel that it was really a matter of fact, but thought he saw a vision. And if he did, it was not the first he had seen, but by this it appears that a heavenly vision was so plain and carried so much of its own evidence with it that it was difficult to distinguish between what was done in fact and what was done in vision. When the Lord brought back the captivity of his people, we were like those that dream. Remember that from Psalm 126? They're coming back from captivity, and it's so amazing they can't even believe that they're looking at the... At, at Mount Zion, and they're seeing Jerusalem again, and they're coming to that place. We're like one who dream. We're like that sometimes. When amazing things happen, we just go, <sighs> can't believe it, right? We're all like that. Peter was so. He thought the news was too good to be true. So we should expect, and it won't keep us from marveling, okay? But we should expect to find ourselves marveling at God's work as He moves in us and around us by His Word, Spirit, and angels. We should expect to be like those people who are praying there, and they're like, nah, it's not Peter. Uh, oh, okay, fine, it's His angel. And Because we, we're going to pray such big things that when they happen, we're going to go, ah, God really did it. Right? But we still pray with faith, even though we know we're going to bump into our unbelief when God answers such kinds of prayers. So when God works in the midst of His people, even now today, by His Word, by His Spirit, and by His angels, expect to be astonished. When God's kingdom breaks into this earth, brothers and sisters, prepare yourself to be knocked back on your heels. Even though we've read of these events in the Word of God, we really shouldn't be surprised if God floods His Spirit upon this town, this region, this state, this nation, this little tiny globe that's nothing compared to His power. We should really not be surprised that there could be a flood level event of revival in the world. The most hard-hearted person you've ever met resistant to the gospel. You shouldn't be surprised because the one who spoke the universe into existence may very well put His almighty finger on their heart and bring them to new life. Don't be as surprised when this happens. But we will. <laughs> we will be surprised, even though we shouldn't be. Praise be to God. So what happens? He's freed. He comes out. The angel completes his deliverance. When they were past the first and the second guard post, do you see that? There's two guard posts. They came to the iron gate that leads to the city. Oh, that's scary. Which opened to them of its own accord, almost like welcoming them to freedom, the gates. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed for him. So the angel did his job and then left. So what do we have here? We have God's power on display, and we have the impotence of man's power on display. Powerless guards, chains on the ground, gates opening almost as an act of salute to Peter and to the angel as they exit. The angel accompanies Peter all the way out of his captivity. He's with him until he's free. So note here, when God will work salvation for his people, no difficulties in their way are insuperable. But even gates of iron are made to open of their own accord, led out of the castle or the tower, whether within the gates of the city or without, we don't know. 
so that when they were through this, they were out into the street. This deliverance of Peter represents to us, it really is, I'll agree with this, this is a metaphor for our deliverance. It represents to, our, to us our redemption by Christ, which is often spoken of as the setting of prisoners free. Not only the proclaiming of liberty to the captives, but the bringing of them out of the prison house. Any of you who have been born again and have been walking with Christ will admit to this reality. Chained up in your own sin, could you have ever gotten free? So Peter comes to his senses. Peter had come to himself. He said, now I know for certain the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So there comes a time when he understands what happened. So he goes, he gives glory to God. We'll look at that next week. So there's going to come a time where you may not understand what God's doing, but usually he's going to bring you to a spot where you can praise him. You can declare his power. You can declare his glory, even though you may not be able to do it in the midst of it. Wide awake now, Peter comes to himself and knows what has occurred. It's not until after he's fully delivered that he's aware of his deliverance. And note again here, it's Herod, perverted civil governance. It's the Jewish people, apostate religion, just like what happened back in Acts 4, just like what happened to Jesus. We see it over and over again, just like what is happening now in today's world, uniting together against the people of God. And Psalm 2 shows us the attitude we should have. We join with our Father in heaven and we laugh in derision at all those who would vainly set themselves up against the King of Kings. Knowing that we would still be right there with them were it not for His glory and grace in our hearts to bring us to submission to Him. That we have kissed the Son like they are warned to do. So about this deliverance, commentary says, Peter when he recollected himself, perceived of a truth what great things God had done for him, which at first he could not believe for joy. So the marveling will settle into a growing of our faith as God works His works in us and around us and He shows us what He's done. He will grow our faith in the midst of these things. Commentary. Thus souls who are delivered out of a spiritual bondage are not at first aware what God has wrought in them. Many have the truth of grace that want the evidence of it. They are questioning whether there be indeed this change wrought in them or whether they have not been all this while in a dream. But when the Comforter comes, that's the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send, sooner or later, He will let them know of a surety, that is of a certainty, what a blessed change is wrought in them. And what a happy state they are brought into. When we are born again from above, sometimes we don't understand. A lot of times we don't understand what has happened and how it happened. And over time through reading the Word, we see the way God does His work. Not only for His church and for the world, but for us individually. And we marvel at His goodness and His power And we grow in love and gratitude to Him. And in peace, knowing that He who saved us, He will not let us go. Now, the next phrase we see here is Peter's awareness of the enemy. We need to be aware of the enemy. That He has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. I think this is not only referencing the attitude and the understanding and the wisdom shown in Acts 4 prayer, but very likely the kind of prayers that were being prayed fervently and constantly by the church. When they're praying for Peter, they're going to pray against the threats. They're going to pray for Peter. They're going to pray against chains. For Peter, against gates. For Peter, against guards. For Peter, against the powers that put these things in place. So this points to imprecatory prayers understanding prayers properly. I hope someone will apply this even this day as we come to our prayer time today. Here again we see the perversion of the two main pillars of power instituted by God for His glory. Instead of serving Him and worshiping Him, the church rightly applying the keys of the kingdom and the state rightly applying the sword of God's vengeance given to them to carry out His wrath against 
evildoers, instead of the state and the church functioning in their role to strengthen God's people and protect them for the work of the gospel, they do the opposite. And they are in trouble with Jesus Christ. All who do this are in trouble with Jesus Christ. We see this perversion of the two main pillars of power instituted by God for His glory working together against His church. The apostate church here is the Jews, and today we can list them out. And tyrant, beastly civil governance. Here, Herod is the example, and I use the term beastly, referencing the book of Revelation. See, the beast of Revelation is this horrible, tyrannical civil governance that the devil takes and puts on his leash to use to try to destroy the people of God. So they're back there again, teaming up to just try to destroy Christ and His people from the earth. It's happening. And Peter has come to understand this. He sees what he's been delivered from. This will increase his gratitude. Commentary says, God who sent His angel to rescue Peter is on the side of the followers of Jesus. Whereas the Jewish king turns out to be God's opponent. Together with those of the Jewish people who welcome the violent oppression of those who believe in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. They are warned in Psalm 2, are they not? Kiss the Son, lest you perish in the way. Will we see an example of this very shortly here in Acts 12? Can you say, eaten by worms? As we pray, let us pray for the elected officials in our land who have set themselves against God and who have brought themselves under this kind of wrath. Now here it takes it a, a step further, receiving praise as if he's God. There's, a, there's another level of abomination that appears Herod took it to. But as we pray for our elected officials who hate Christ, hate his law, hate his righteousness, hate reality, hate the foundations of righteousness, hate all that is good, and set themselves against it, making claims that you can determine what gender you are by your own choice and other forms of complete nonsense and unreality swarming in our midst today. As we pray for these leaders, remember this text and pray for them with confidence that God will move and that they would be saved, that they would kiss the Son, that they would repent and serve them in their leadership. Or be removed in whatever way God sees fit. According to his justice. Alright, so real quick. I want us to recall the deliverance. This is the text from whence today's sermon comes. Recall the deliverance of three faithful young men. And how did they face tyrannical death threats. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. It's almost as if they could fall asleep. If that is the case, they say to the king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. <clears throat> it should be an encouragement to us. It's a similar kind of thing that we see happening with Peter and the apostles. What happens here? Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are strong soldiers and they take these three young men who won't do what the king tells them and they're going to throw them in the hot fire. That's so hot they get burned up. Three guys are divine fire retardant all over them. They are in good shape. You know, they can't make the fire hot enough to burn you if Jesus clothes you in that moment. <laughs> and these... Three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, going on with the text, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Into the midst. Not like, you know, maybe only 
1,700 degrees at the outside, you know, they're in the middle, the hottest part. They're bound, and they're in the midst of the fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king, look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, may we go forth and just walk in the midst of the fire with Jesus, leaving the results of our lives in His hands, loose, walking with Him. It seems as though they got really close to the Lord Jesus Christ right there in the midst of the fire. May we be like these people of faith. May God bless us to be those who pray with this kind of faith, who live with this kind of faith, that we might be blessed to know Him more deeply and to participate more fully in all the glorious things that He's going to do to demonstrate Himself and His glory in this world. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we do praise You and thank You, O God, that in Your great kindness to us, we who were dead in our sins and trespasses, we who are by nature objects of Your wrath, none of us deserving any of Your kindness, but instead, only because of Your grace, You sent forth Jesus Christ. You poured out Your wrath upon Him and You've saved us in Christ to the uttermost, restored us as Your friends, brought us back into Your loving arms as our Father. Oh, restoring us, granting to us more than was lost at Eden, certain eternal life with You, never to be taken out of Your hands. Oh, Father, bless us, we pray, to go forth with greater faith, with greater love, with greater hope. Oh, Father, we cry out to You, Make us like these saints of old, trusting in You, looking to You, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.